Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bicknell. With me, as always, is my co-host, Robert Zirk. On today's show, our continued coverage of the Winnipeg Foundation's Vital Signs Community Conversation on Mental Health, Addictions, and Healing. We'll bring you our one-on-one conversations with the panelists after the event. Then we'll hear about Sam's Place, a wonderful social enterprise that helps train youth to give them real-world skills and work experience. Then we'll continue our series of refugee stories recorded at an event held a couple of weeks ago by the Mennonite Heritage Centre Gallery. And as always, Noah Ehrenberg will join us in studio to tell us about This Week in Winnipeg through the lens of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's Citizen Journalism Project. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Good morning and welcome to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you on this fine Sunday morning. Uh, this is the second time we've been on the on the radio this week, Robert. Uh, earlier this week, we had a wonderful, uh, wonderful live experience on Monday. Um, hopefully, a couple of our listeners heard us on there. We got to talk a little bit about uh, what our plans were for this week, and and uh, it was kind of cool to be on a different radio slot for once. How, I know. How was, was your experience? It was very cool. I really enjoyed it. It was nice to be on in the afternoon. It was our afternoon radio debut, yeah, so to normally speak. Normally we're up at the crack of dawn, but uh, this time we got uh, the pre, the, the post-lunch crowd, which was nice. It was cool. Absolutely, yeah. Um, always great to... Uh, to have these little guest spots on on CJNU. Today we have a really wonderful show uh, lined up for you. We have RC360 Stacy Cardigan-Smith with a fantastic new story about Sam's Place, which many of our listeners might know as a bookstore and as a cafe, but uh, they also do some wonderful work as a social enterprise training youth, and we'll hear all about some of those stories there. We've also got another refugee story um, from the refugee storytelling event that was held a couple of weeks ago by the Mennonite Heritage Center Gallery. And coming up after the break, we'll continue our conversations with the panelists from the Winnipeg Foundation's Vital Signs Community Conversation on Mental Health, Addictions, and Healing. So we'll kind of get some of their impressions after the event. We heard some highlights last week uh, during the panel discussion and some of the roundtable discussions, but we'll we'll kind of hear what their thoughts were after hearing everything from the other panelists as well as the community. Uh, some really great insights, so we hope you will stay tuned for that. Before we get going with the actual show, let's kick things off with a tune. How about Tossin' and Turnin' by Bobby Lewis, right here on River City 360. Sleep at all at night. Just thinking of you. Maybe things weren't right. When I was tossing and turning, turning and tossing, tossing and turning all night. I kicked the blankets on the floor. Out of bed, turn. 
turned on the light. I pulled down the shade, went to the kitchen for a bite. Rolled up the shade, turned off the light. I jumped back into bed, it was the middle of the night. The clock downstairs was striking four. Welcome back to River City 360. Nolan and Robert here with you this morning. We are currently talking about the vital conversation on mental health, addictions, and healing that was recently held as part of the Winnipeg Foundation's Vital Signs Initiative. After the event, we spoke with each of the three panelists to learn more about what they felt was important to help address challenges with regards to mental health and addictions. Dr. Lisa Monkman is a family physician working at the Access Downtown Medical Clinic. She also travels once a week to Broken Head Ojibwe Nation to establish a medical clinic there, and she recently founded an outreach clinic in Swan River with a focus on addictions medicine. She cited the need for mental health and addictions medicine in our province as the main reason why she thought this conversation was so important to have. It's tragic to see the death rate from opiate overdose uh, go from literally nothing several decades ago to about 10 per month now in our province and we as healthcare providers are in a powerful position to prescribe safely any opiates to prevent them from getting on the street but also to provide treatment options for people who want and need help. I got into it because there was an HIV and Hep C outbreak in rural Manitoba that was unprecedented because of injection drug use and then just really like helping people grow stabilize and get healthy has been very, very rewarding. Dr. Monkman noted that mental health services aren't being adequately funded considering how prevalent mental health issues are in our society. How important we view as a society will be directly reflected by how much money we put into a specific problem. So I think the general approach needs to be multifaceted and has to focus on relationships and community-led initiatives because it's impossible for someone who's very distant, you know. It's going to be impossible for like a bureaucrat who's very distant from the problem to really know how to help in a meaningful way. So like we just need to be better listeners and spend more time with the people that we serve. One of the things that Dr. Monkman appreciated about the discussions was hearing about programs that were effective. I really, really enjoyed hearing about healing through art and creative expression and music. I think that that speaks powerfully to young people and people who are developing their place in the world, sense of purpose and identity. And I also really felt inspired by people's willingness to share their own struggles, their own personal experiences with either 
having mental illness themselves or being a caregiver or a supporter of like close loved ones who suffered. So I think that that was really meaningful because it connects us all together and builds bonds on a basic human level. RC360 also spoke with Tessa Blakey-Whitecloud, fund developer at One Just City, which works with its member charities to provide outreach to people who are homeless, marginalized, or dealing with mental health or addictions challenges. After the formal part of the program ended, her discussion table talked about how the structures in our society can sometimes act as barriers for people. Looking at the way that we, for example, would fail a student, and that doesn't actually mean fail them in their class, it just means that we are failing to provide them with the right tools because we're asking them to fit a structure that doesn't make sense for who they are. And so we really had good conversations about that aspect. And I think when it comes to mental illness, the other thing that we talked about is this myth sometimes of prevention, because for some people uh, it's gonna happen no matter what. And then it's about making sure that when it happens, they have more skills in their toolkit to cope because we've done that mental health promotion side that allows them to go into that mental illness with more tools in their pocket. And that was something that I noticed that came up a lot in the discussion is not going toward this structure of winner takes all sort of thing, but that it's really everyone working together and everyone side by side supporting one another. Yeah, and I think that that's the key, not only to mental health, but to social health and to physical health. It's about how do we as communities respond And I think right now, part of the challenge is that we are in such an individualistic society. And so often we're taught to compete with one another instead of to embrace and figure out alternative gifts and strengths we're all bringing to the table. And so I think that, you know, that requires us to look at our economic structures as well as our education structures and, you know, what we're allowing people to experience. And then also why we're not implementing best practices. So we talked about housing first at the table I was at. And we have models that say you need to be sober to get a house. But how do you be sober when you're you're dealing with the stress of being homeless and the only coping skill you've learned so far is whatever you're addicted to? It's unrealistic. And yet we repeatedly set these expectations and then we blame the victim for not meeting expectations that were unrealistic. Tessa mentioned that the reduction of the stigma surrounding mental health issues has been a very positive development in the overall conversation. We're talking openly about the ways that people experience mental illness. There's a lot of people that are great achievers that are talking about their own personal struggles with mental illness. And I think that that's really important because when we reduce that stigma, we increase self-help seeking behavior in young people, which means that people can have the chance to recover quickly like I had the chance because I got help so quickly. And I think that that's really crucial. And so I really like how the conversation is going in that direction but I think the problem and I've had this when I've been doing work in classrooms is when a youth is finally ready to talk to someone and then there is no services for them that is heartbreaking I think that we need to compare the amount of hospital visits and access and support that is asked for mental health issues and then make the funding the equivalent of whatever we're doing for physical health because ultimately mental health is the physical health of our brain And it's so important, as uh, one of the panelists mentioned, one out of five people are going to be affected by it in Canada. And if you think of how many people are affected by it indirectly, that's pretty much everyone. Yeah, and so the other statistic that wasn't mentioned tonight is that one in three people will have a mental health problem. And a mental health problem can be a stretch of bad weeks, it can be a series of bad days, it can be uh, regular anxiety that you know doesn't require maybe a bunch of external coping skills, but you still have to suffer through it. And so the number is smaller when we think about the spectrum of mental health. And I think one of the challenges is that we need to recognize we all have mental health and that no matter where we are in that spectrum, we can do better with a more compassionate, a more caring society that allows us to develop and use our coping skills. And we also spoke to the third panelist of the evening, Sean Miller 
who is the Partnership for Recovery Coordinator at the Canadian Mental Health Association Manitoba and Winnipeg. He noted that there's been an increased awareness of mental health issues in Canada, but that there's still more that needs to be done. My contention with that whole thing is that awareness has become a buzzword. And awareness can coexist with apathy. So for example, if I'm driving down the street and I see somebody with a flat tire on the side of the road, I can drive by, be totally aware of the situation, but do absolutely nothing to help them overcome that challenge and get back onto the roadway of life. And there's a parallel here, just in this topic that we're discussing, we can be aware of something and think we're inoculated and and feel good for, for being aware that we don't have the stigma and we don't act with discrimination, but we need to start taking steps to building society, to partnering with these individuals to help create healthy community. So I think that acceptance is the next step. And acceptance as an action word, inviting people in, dialoguing with people, creating that relationship, and then advocating, advocating for those people, helping them to, again, discover, develop, and use their giftings, their abilities, validating hope, etc., etc. And that ties in with how relationships were a big part of the theme at his table's discussion. Not only between family members or friends, but that it's an approach that needs to be taking place between the public and the care provider, right? It's not this top-down professional and patient. We, we have to get away from those social roles and recognize that this is a shoulder-to-shoulder partnership that we need. Thanks again to Dr. Lisa Monkman, Tessa Blakey-Whitecloud, and Sean Miller for speaking with us. If you'd like to participate and share your thoughts on mental health, on addictions, or on healing in our city, there are several ways you can do so. Please leave us a comment on our listener line. That's open 24-7. The number is 204 204- 944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. You can also find the full video from The Vital Conversation on the Winnipeg Foundation's Facebook page. Just search for the Winnipeg Foundation on Facebook, and you can also leave your feedback there in the comments as well. If you're on other social media, such as Twitter, you can tag the Winnipeg Foundation at WinnipegFDN and use the hashtag WVS2017. That's WVS2017. And to learn more about Winnipeg's vital signs and future opportunities to participate in community conversations like this one, you can visit wpgfdn.org forward slash vital signs. There will be two more vital signs community conversations later in the year, and RC360 will be sure to preview and cover both of those events and let you know how you can get involved. Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, Stacy Cardigan-Smith is going to be joining us in studio to talk about Sam's Place. Stacy recently spent some time there, and she's going to tell us about how they're helping youth in Winnipeg gain valuable skills and work experience. But first, here's Harry James with Trumpet Blues and Cantabile on River City 360.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. Coming up, we've got a wonderful story from our very own Stacy Cardigan-Smith, who spent some time recently at a local social enterprise, Sam's Place. Stacy. Have you ever driven down Henderson Highway, just over the Disraeli, and noticed a shop called Sam's Place? You may know it's a cafe and bookstore, but did you know it's also helping young people get work experience? Sam's Place is a social enterprise run by Mennonite Central Committee. I recently had the chance to visit Sam's Place, where I met two young people who are involved with the program. Here's Daniela Santos. I moved to Canada um, one year ago, the last December. And I started to live in the first month in a house in very close here, two blocks away. And one day I saw in the window um, uh, some place was looking for volunteers. When I arrived here, I had no English, zero was worse than it's now. <laughs> and I asked for a volunteer job in Brazil. I'm from Brazil. Brazil, I was volunteer, but just in rescue for dogs. I make friends for being in the community and for improving my English. Alex Justin is another young volunteer. She's 17 and has been volunteering at Sam's Place for three years. Alex first got involved because she was looking to gain some work experience so she could get another paid position. Just in the amount of time that I've been volunteering here, I find it's a lot easier for me to talk to people. Like for a while I had had a job and if I had gone straight into that job, I would have struggled so much with the whole customer service aspect of it. But because I had some experience of doing that here, it made it easier. Both Alex and Daniela are part of the Youth Engagement and Skills Development Program at Sam's Place. I met with Alex Strange, the Youth Engagement, Skills Development and Volunteer Coordinator, and he told me about the program and about Sam's Place. So we are a social enterprise of the Mennonite Central Committee, and we rely on committed volunteers, and we support the work of MCC locally and around the world. So locally, we support the work um, by providing culture and conversation and a place to gather for the community of Elmwood. Um, so Elmwood, uh, it's very much like a peninsula. There isn't uh, many restaurants, there is no grocery stores, there's no places for people to gather. So our, our goal is not to get these customers, but it is to provide this place of uh, gathering. It's provide the books for people to come and uh, grab, a, grab a chair and read. Uh, they're all for sale, but if they feel like just grabbing a book and, or stealing our Wi-Fi, they are more than welcome to do that. Uh, we also have a stage uh, where we have bands uh, every weekend. Uh, but not only that, we have also had uh, some political debates. We have had some information um, seminars uh, on regards on so many things like the crisis in Palestine or, or we have talked about fair access to water or uh, Aboriginal women uh, murder. So we try to provide these this options for the community to get informed and to learn several things, but also to gather and, and have a little bit of fun. The Youth Engagement and Skills Development Program has been running for about three years and in 2016 alone they had almost 150 volunteers. Some of the young people, like Daniela and Alex, search out the program. Others are referred. We partner with several organizations um, that work with youth already. Uh, our target group for youth are newcomers um, to Canada. We work with Indigenous youth 
uh, youth that come from low economical families, uh, low income families, and also youth that are um, have ser uh, some mental or physical uh, disability. Uh, we have partnered with organizations that already work with them and uh, we take referrals through them. Also we have gained um, good reputation among the high schools in the area, so um, we have some teachers and some social workers that will refer our youth uh, when they see that uh, school may not be an option for them or uh, if they can get a school credit through us uh, volunteering instead of uh, in the classroom and we have a lot of people that come for shows and they just love the atmosphere so much that they want to get involved um, people in the Mennonite community as well get uh, have been able to get involved a typical day is busy but the benefits to the volunteers are huge so I'm working on the till and I'm working like a server. Sometimes I help in the kitchen. I did my food handler certificate here. So a typical day. It's a busy day. <laughs> and super nice people here. It's very kind with me. The first month, the last December, I was without worse English. It was super difficult to understand me and people was super nice with me. I was like my first contact with Canadians and Canadian life. Now that her English has improved, Daniela has gone on to get a job working in retail. Developing on-the-job skills is a major goal of the program. They develop several uh, practical skills uh, with uh, what we have here. So. Uh, customer service, uh, learning how to operate the, the espresso machine, um, how to handle money, how to, uh, how to do dishes, etc. But uh, I, I, I think that the better one they get is the, it's, it's learning how to work. So we do try to um, um, rate them or assess them from time to time on, on different skills such as how prepared were you for work today? You know, did you have breakfast before coming here? Did you shower and, and wear appropriate clothing? Uh, several of our volunteers did not know that that was a requirement before uh, uh, before here, and that has gotten them uh, more prepared for the workforce. Um, you know, the attitude that they have to have at work, uh, knowing that you have to turn your cell phone off or... Um, even certain things like how many steps did it take you to take a dirty dish to the back, you know, uh, try to find the most efficient way to do things. Those are things that not only they're applying here to be better volunteers when they're here, but also those are things that they're applying in their daily lives. Alex is focusing on developing relationships with nearby organizations, as well as expanding the program's mentorship component. This is not only helping more young people learn about the program, but also strengthening community and helping young people develop their leadership abilities. In the last year, the greatest thing with it was uh, expanding uh, our commitment with our community and uh, we gained recognition from our community. So um, right now it's to expand that and uh, to grow this program enough that uh, we are catering to everyone that we know that needs this. Um, we wanna make sure that we expand on the mentoring volunteers and the mentoring aspect. Uh, we know that uh, there are there's several capable young people here that are gonna make a difference in the world in the future, and uh, I think it's up to us to give them the chance to to show that and to to begin with that journey that eventually will get them all to be prime ministers and and city councilors and just uh, or even in their schools or in their universities or in their families they're gonna be leaders and uh, it's up to us to make them 
take that first step. To learn more about Sam's Place, head to samscommunity.com. For River City 360, I'm Stacy Cardigan-Smith. Thanks very much to Stacy Cardigan-Smith for that report. Last year, Mennonite Central Committee Manitoba received a $20,000 grant from the Winnipeg Foundation in support of its youth engagement and skills development program at Sam's Place. Coming up after the break, we'll share the second in our series of refugee stories recorded at an event held by the Mennonite Heritage Centre Gallery. Before we get to that, here are the Silly Symphonists with Mirzy Dotes right here on River City 360. Don't load, load, load that don't, don't load, load, load that don't. Mirzy Dotes and Dozy Dotes and Little M did I be, the kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? Back to River City 360, Robert and Nolan here with you this morning. Last week, we began the first in a six-part series of refugee stories that we recorded at a refugee storytelling event hosted by the Mennonite Heritage Centre Gallery, in which people from various backgrounds shared brief snapshots of their experience as refugees. This week, Felicia Joe shares her story of how she left Liberia due to persecution and its civil war. She fled with her family, eventually arriving at Côte d'Ivoire, or the Ivory Coast, where she lived until 2016. On July 25, 2016, she arrived in Canada without her family. She now lives in Killarney with a childhood friend that she reconnected with at a refugee camp in Côte d'Ivoire. Before we get to it, a warning that some of the details in the following story are graphic and listener discretion is advised. Here is Felicia Joe's story. My name is Felicia Joe, a Liberian refugee. My friend, my sister, Zoe Dexy. As a Liberian refugee, we are here to share with you 
some of our suffering that we experienced in the past. The Liberia Civil War started December 24, 1989 and lasted for 14 years. Wild traps were hunting traps, killing officials of women, and we were forced to flee our country Liberia for safety. Even if you are a woman or a man, you will run and leave your children. Because of the Civil War since 1998, I feel sure I have not seen my parents. My friends told that I was tired, beaten, and I went through some difficulties that I cannot explain in public. In our tribe, my tribe is crying in Liberia. And we, the girls, we go through the female circumcisions. And my friend Zoe, her parents were killed in her presence during the Civil War in Liberia. The Civil War was so deadly to the extent that human beings were shattered in cold blood, forced children to have sex with their own parents, open pregnant women's stomachs, put their child out, Tired human beings put them in the rivers. Even they were eating human beings, growing humans as life. We saw all those things in life during the Civil War. Even in our second country of Esalon, the Ivory Coast, where we were, we came from to be resettled here in Canada. We went through a difficulties, lots of abuses against our wills. Most refugee Liberians were killed, and some of us were tortured because of our nationality, Liberia. During the crisis in the Ivory Coast, since 2010, I feel sure I have not seen my children. Just recently, I got the information for my children. I have not seen my children since six years. Such a terrible situation of insecurity my children, sisters, and brothers, majority of our friends refugees are still living undergoing pains of torture and living without hope. Unfriendly, elderly, chronically sick people, widows, single mothers, those our fellow Liberians refugees struggling, manner feed themselves and their families. To conclude once again, we want to thank you all sincerely and also appeal to the government and people of Canada keenly to help our fellow refugees back in the Ivory Coast that are exposed to danger to be resettled here in Canada. I thank you. Thank you to Felicia Joe for letting us share your story and a special thank you to Ray Dirks and the Mennonite Heritage Center Gallery. We'll share another refugee story with you next week here on River City 360. Thanks, Robert. And now the next segment in our series, Promising Projects, where we hear from members of the community grants team at the Winnipeg Foundation, and they've been telling us about some of their favorite upcoming projects and the charitable organizations that are doing amazing work here in Winnipeg. Today we'll be hearing from Rick Lussier, Senior Grants Associate at the Winnipeg Foundation, and the organization he's decided to shine some light on. So without further ado, here's the next installment in our Promising Projects series.
My name is Rick Lussier and I'm a grants associate at the Winnipeg Foundation. And uh, the promising project that I wanted to uh, highlight was the Manitoba Environmental Youth Network. Uh, this is a project of the Manitoba Eco Network, which in of itself has about 50 member agencies that are all interested in improving the environment in Manitoba and, and the world. Um, this project is one that we've supported for many years and uh, this year we're providing actually three years of support, trying to give it a little more, a little more stability. What the project is trying to do is it's a network and the network is really trying to build some capacity among youth organizations that are interested in making a positive change to the environment. The, uh, what made it exciting and promising to me was the fact that it, it really encourages cooperation and sharing among various youth groups. That was a real attraction, but it also, beyond that, it's led by a youth coordinator and it has a steering committee which is composed of entirely youth volunteers. Um, the, uh, it also, uh, a really neat feature is it has a mentorship program. And in the mentorship program, uh, really kind of advanced youth leaders in the environmental movement, uh, leaders that have promoted really exciting projects, get the opportunity to mentor other youth groups who are maybe more in the formative uh, and conceptual stages of a project. The, um, the mentors get the benefit also of they get leadership training, they get training in fundraising, in uh, project management, and uh, even in speaking skills. So it's kind of exciting. And then looking at it broader from a perspective of how does this benefit Winnipeg, the, uh, the program is really, is really building and celebrating current leaders and, and future leaders. It's, um, it, it, it's, uh, it promotes that sharing and cooperation, you know, which is wonderful. It develops um, skills in terms of leadership. It develops a sense of commitment in the, in the participants. Uh, and very importantly, it encourages, it encourages a discussion, community discussion, and discussions in, in decision-making, which maybe, uh, ideally, could uh, impact public policy. And, and from our perspective, those are skills that affect more than the environmental sector, but they really affect Winnipeg overall in a very positive way. Thank you to Rick Lussier, Senior Grants Associate at the Winnipeg Foundation, for sharing your promising project with us here on River City 360. Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg is on his way into the studio to tell us about This Week in Winnipeg through the lens of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's citizen journalism project. Before Noah gets into the studio, we're going to hear a quick tune. Here's Sarah Vaughn with I'm Glad There Is You, right here on River City 360. <laughs> Oh, and so was I. 
River City 360. Nolan Robert here with you this morning, and we're now joined in studio by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons and a lifelong journalist. Noah, thank you for joining us. Lifelong? <laughs> from the from the womb to now, you've been a journalist. Yeah, you could say that. There you go. It's great to be here. How are you this morning? So far, so good. We're, we're enjoying ourselves. It's a, it's a beautiful day here in Winnipeg. Absolutely. And I understand that it's going to be the hottest summer on record coming up, and uh, that is also the... Well, uh, not necessarily hot temperature Oh, right. Yeah, but that you never is, know. But that is the uh, the theme that uh, those Canada Summer Games are using. And I understand some community news commons journalists, some citizen journalists, are writing all about it. There's been a f- uh, quite a few stories actually published. Yes, and there will be a whole bunch more because um, Community News Commons is partnering with Canada Games 2017, it being the 50th anniversary of the Canada Games. We're doing a lot of uh, articles on the upcoming games as well. There are writers who are working as volunteers with Canada Games who are submitting their content to communitynewscommons.org, and we are publishing that. So there's a lot of great stories that have already been published and will be published in the very near future. Like a couple of stories by uh, citizen reporter Amanda Thorstensen, and she looked at the careers of two star hockey players with uh, Manitoba Moose who were uh, playing in previous Canada Winter Games. Oh, very uh, cool. Yeah, so it was uh, the captain of the Moose, uh, Patrice Cormier, uh, who played uh, with Team New Brunswick uh, nice. at the Canada Games, Canada Winter Games in 2007, as well as uh, Moose goalie uh, Eric Comrie. 
And uh, he played in a previous Canada Winter Games as well. And so they, both those hockey players talk about how playing in a Canada Games in previous years really made a huge difference to their careers. Very cool. There's probably thousands upon thousands of stories like that because there are so many um, athletes that are coming to Winnipeg. And it's going to be a pretty big event, I think. Yeah, there's stories about athletes. There's stories about volunteers. There's stories about families. Awesome. uh, About uh, just about anything, really, because it's such a big event. It'll be exciting to uh, stay tuned to CNC in the coming months and into the summer months to see uh, the coverage of this event because it's so huge. But speaking of coverage of pretty big events, mm-hmm. um, I understand that there's some cool coverage of a music festival that just happened this past week as well. Yeah, all this past week, the Winnipeg New Music Festival took place. It's the 26th year for this festival. Wow. And um, I, uh, as well as Doug Kretschmer and Ann Martin and a few other people were out at uh, different uh, concerts and we did some reviews, some photographs, some video. Uh, Doug shot some video of uh, because it wasn't just the concerts. There was also some pre-concert panel talks as well as some um, uh, post-concert Q&As with some of the uh, guests that came in. And this, uh, most people don't realize that this festival is huge uh, from the standpoint of the world of new music. (laughs) There are giants of new music that come to Winnipeg and they say to the crowd before they play their stuff, they say, you guys don't know how lucky you are to have this type of music festival in your city. And, uh, you know, people like Meredith Monk, um, and and others that came this this um, this time around uh, really impressed with the performances as well as the performance on Thursday night over at the Bay Basement. Uh, yeah, uh, Hudson Bay kind of a uh, downtown. Store, Amazing. A last show year they uh, last year they did the uh, P- uh, Pan Am Pool. They did a concert at Pan Am Pool, which was phenomenal. And the one at the Bay Basement was equally as amazing when it came to the sound quality, the lighting, just the whole vibe was. Uh, was really, really interesting, and the music was tremendous. Awesome. So it was. Uh, there's a great uh, review by Ann Martin about that, and some terrific photos by Doug Kretschmer. It's really well worth uh, taking a look at on communitynewscommons.org. Yeah, there's all sorts of different coverage of events and, and things. You mentioned reviews, and you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, highlights and photos, but let's talk a little bit about the photo of the day, oh, because yeah. a lot of people, you know, either th- amateur or professional, take a lot of photos and you know everyone has a pretty good camera in their pocket right now probably <laughs> when it sure. comes to smartphones no so tell kidding. me about how the the uh, photo of the day came to be and how successful that's been over the past few years well we started when we first started the project back in 2012 and it was essentially a little spot on the main page where um, a particular photo from a citizen um, photographer I guess you would call them uh, would uh, take a picture and they would send it in and um, we have published um, thousands of these right. photos over the course of the last like every five day years. there's one Pretty much every day there's there's one and it is of so many different things. Uh, you know, it could be Greg Petzold taking a picture of that porous orange colored wall that was across right. the uh, Red River. Um, the skating tra- the sk- trail Exactly. There. It could be Doug Kretschmer taking a photo from a concert. You he's know, at every before. concert, well, is, I think, in Winnipeg. He's at quite a few, and he usually sends a photo. It could be, you know, a sunrise. It could be, um, you know, a picture of your cat. That's interesting, you know. <laughs> it could be just about anything that... Um, and you know, anyone can submit? Anyone can submit photos. That's the same way anyone can be a citizen reporter, as uh, you know, as long as they go by the terms of service, which is basically you have to be responsible. And, and of course, uh, it has to go through my desk so that I make sure that the content is uh, awesome. is appropriate for our audience. What direction do you give to community or to citizen journalists when they're writing things? Give me an example of something when someone comes to you with a story idea. How do you sort of help them hone their message? Well, you know, one of the things about community news commons that's interesting is that there are people who have written before, there are people who have done journalism before, but then there are people who haven't, and so there are people who have some sort of basic questions about 
Uh, what's the best way to tell a story? And, you know, for somebody like myself that's been doing journalism for a long time, it kind of comes naturally. It's like, oh, just, you know, start with this and then go here, go start there. Start with the lead. And, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, now we do teach those types of things in the workshops that we hold every spring and fall. And, uh, we, you know, we uh, show people how to write articles. And um, But, you know, there are, you know, every story is different. And right. so when a story comes up that, you know, people aren't um, that familiar with what the best way to tell it is. And also the other thing is, you know, two heads are better than one mm-hmm. when it comes to figuring out a story. And I love the blue sky stories with uh, citizen reporters. And so we, you know, we sit uh, or we talk on the phone and we figure out uh, what are the interesting elements of it? What's the best way to start it? Uh, what are some of the more um, uh, interesting details that should be in the piece? And, um, and you know, the citizen reporters will contact me either at the beginning or in the middle of them doing a story. And then at the end, I take a, you know, a look at it and I try and basically try and refine it the, the best way possible. I guess every story is different and every journalist is different. So it's probably a different approach every single time. So give me an example of some of the stories that people are writing and, and publishing every day on CNC. Uh, like, for example, um, there is a citizen reporter named uh, Susan Hubert who uh, has done quite a few stories. And um, she is now looking at doing a story on rent increases okay. in the city of Winnipeg. And uh, she was curious because she's seen it happen to her friends and uh, to other people that she knows, and it's happening in her own world. And she was wondering, what are the rules in terms of rent increases, and what is it that a renter can do if they feel that a rent increase is not justified? And so this is a very interesting piece because I know a lot of people would be, you know, affected by that. And so for her as a citizen reporter that's been writing for a few years now, this is a different type of thing because she hasn't really done a story like that. Right. Where and you're so doing research and kind of looking up something that you have no idea about Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so uh, we're going to be having a conversation this week that basically I'm going to give her some tips on uh, here's who you should call, this is what you should look at, these are the type of people you should look at in terms of who should be in the story. And mm-hmm. so for Susan, it's going to be, uh, I think, quite a learning experience. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go to cncwpg org and submit a story or a photo of the day, anything to get involved and, and showcase your community and tell the stories of Winnipeg. So Noah, at the end of the, our time together, we've asked you to bring in a local mu- a local song or artist that people may not have heard. So what have you got for us this week? Well, this week I have the first single from a group called Indian City, and uh, they have a new album. Uh, the name of this new album is called Here and Now, and um they will be releasing the full album later this month. Uh, the single um, that is called Here and Now from Indian City is written by Vince Fontaine and um, Chris uh, Burkaffney and Jay Bodner. Um, the track features uh, Eagle and Hawk frontman Bodner and uh, some great lead vocals from uh, Pamela Davis as well. Um, it's a very interesting album because it's going to explore different perspectives on today's world, you know, discussing different concerns for Indigenous peoples, uh, fellow Canadians, and, you know, pr- pretty much anybody in, 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 in the world. And they focus on the environment, sort of the treatment of the environment, the legacy of residential schools, uh, the loss felt in Indigenous community, um, and beyond of the murdered and missing Indigenous women and men across Canada. So it's, um, y- you know, there's a lot of difficult themes, but you might call it uh, an optimistic shout back and a push forward to what is possible uh, if we work together 
uh, for mutual progress and uh, sort of a, a collective uh, prosperity. And so it's a, I think it's, um, it shows that we have a bright future ahead of us. Uh, there's some difficult issues that we need to work out. But I wanted to feature this new song from Indian City called Here and Now. You're listening to River City 360 with Nolan Bicknell and Robert Zirk on 93.7 CJNU.
Thank you for listening to River City 360. We've got time for one last tune before we say goodbye today. So here's Buddy Greco with Bobbles, Bangles, and Beads right here on River City 360. <laughs> Bubbles, bangles, hear how they jingle, 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 bubbles, bangles, bright shiny beads, sparkle, spangle, my heart would sing, sing, a ling, a wearing bubbles, bangles, and beads. I Glitter and gleam So ho Make Somebody dream So that someday She may Buy me a ring Ring-a-ling I've heard That's where it leads If you wear bubbles Bangles and bees Let me tell you Hear how they jingle, jingle, linga, linga, bubbles, bangles, those shiny beads, sparkle, spangle. My heart would sing, sing, a linga, wearing bubbles, bangles, and beads. I just glitter and gleam. So. dream so that someday she may buy me a ring ring a ling I've heard that's where it leads if you wear bubbles bangles and beads bubbles bangles and beads That's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you so much for listening, and a huge thank you to all of our guests for speaking with us today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can visit us online. The address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg, is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM. And we'd love to hear your feedback about the program. If you'd like to give us a call with your comments, song requests, or a topic that you'd like us to cover on a future show, 
Give us a call. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. You can search at RiverCity360, all one word on Twitter, and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360. And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great Sunday. Thank you.